Well, if you have a Bible this morning, find the book of Matthew, Matthew, and we're going to be in chapter number 11, Matthew uh, chapter 11. Two weeks ago, we started a series of messages that we just are using the word forward, uh, and it is a very simple title, and it's a very, very simple explanation. We, just, we should be moving forward in our relationship with God. Uh, too many Christians, too many Americans call themselves Christians, and their spiritual life is stagnant. It goes nowhere. And next year, we end up in the same spiritual place we were the year before. Can I just tell you that's not how it's supposed to work? We are supposed to be growing. We are supposed to be learning. We're supposed to know God more and hear his voice better and be more obedient than we have ever been, more generous, more loving, more kind. All of this should be the way this works as Christians. And so we've just been talking about what does it look like for us to move forward uh, in our in our relationships with God. And not only that, but what does it look like for us to move forward as a church? Because there are a whole lot of church families that seem to be going backwards these days. And, and, and I'm not saying that in a judgmental way. I am, I, we cheer on other churches around here. We pray for other churches. We, we desire to see, the, the, to see God glorified in all around the world in different ways. The kingdom of God is much bigger than River of Life Church. We understand that. But, but I believe that God is asking the church, the body of Christ, not to be stagnant, not to get stuck, not to be just in tradition and religion, but to be in this life-giving, vibrant, beautiful relationship, walk with God. And so that is what this is about. We are moving forward. So the first couple messages here are more individually uh, focused. And so they're on you. It's about you. It's about me. And it's about our relationships individually with God. We're going to transition in a few weeks to what does it look like corporately for us to move forward uh, in, in the, as the body of Christ in the kingdom of God. So I think that sounds a great thing. Uh, let me just begin today by creating a bit of tension around something. And uh, t- today is semi a second part of what we looked at two weeks ago, but it's going to go in a completely different direction as well. But uh, something that as Americans is just sort of normal, and I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Most people in America are just too busy to live emotionally healthy and spiritually rich lives. And I want, I want to just pause, and I want you to let that sink in for a moment. Most Americans are just too busy We're too busy to live emotionally healthy and spiritually rich lives. And that's not just most America. It's most of us in this place where our lives are, in a way, too full. We don't rest enough. Uh, Our minds are out of control. It's not good for our physical bodies. It's not good for our mental health. It's not good for our families. And yet we throw around this word busyness like it's some sort of a, a badge we wear. And, and uh, the amount of times that I walk up to people and I say, hey, man, how are you doing? How's your family? Just, just so busy. And they're not saying it as like, oh, my life. They're, they're saying it as like, I'm busy. I got it all going on. I'm productive. I'm making an impact. I'm doing something. I'm busy. My life is spiraling out of control, but I'm busy. And we say it like that and we think like that. Uh, but we live in a society 
that the result of our overwork and overuse and all of this, and this is not the way that it has always been in humanity, and it's not the way that it's been in America. It is a relatively new thing in the scale of history, but our society is also marked by stress, anxiety, overwork, overwhelmed. The family unit in America is hanging on by a thread. You, you, want, you want to fix America? Many of us want to march on Washington. Let's fix the family unit. The family is broken in America, okay? You, you can do all you want with, with the government, and we think if we had the right president and all that type of stuff, I'm telling you, it starts with the family and the church, and that's what needs to happen, okay? Uh, but we're hanging on by a thread. We work more hours than we have ever worked before. Get less sleep statistically than we ever have before. We have more on our plate, and as a whole, our culture is just sort of bursting at the seams. And how many of you in this place with me today would just raise a hand and be a little bit honest and say, sometimes my life feels out of control? Okay, raise your hand with me, all seven of us. That's pretty good, okay? <laughs> rest of you are liars, bunch of liars in here at church with me, okay? But the reality of the situation is most of us in this room are living like are just too busy. We will not live emotionally healthy and we will not live spiritually deep and rich because we just have too much going on. Our lives are too full of other things. Okay, that was an introduction and I hope you brought your seatbelts. So are you ready? Let's go. Please stand with me all over this place uh, and let's read our passage of scripture for today. Matthew chapter 11 uh, we're going to start in verse number 28, Matthew 11:28. 28. should be on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you, but here we go, straight from the words of Jesus. He says this, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That sounds beautiful, doesn't it? All right, let's pray. God, we just kind of take a deep breath and we invite you into this moment right here. We, we know you are omnipresent. You are everywhere all the time. But we also just know there are moments in our lives when, when, when you show up and speak and do things. And so, God, I pray that your very word would come through and speak to the places deep inside of us, the places where we need to go and need to be and need to change. And God, I, just pray, I pray that none of this would be about me sincerely, God. That, that you would speak, that you would use me, that your word would come out and come through. And so, God, we just give this to you in your name we pray. Amen, amen. All right, give somebody a high five and have a seat. <clears throat> you were late today, by the way, Sarah. They were, they were worried that you were coming. <laughs> we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I was reading an interesting article this week, and let me just give you the title of it. It was called this, How Multitasking Affects Productivity and Brain Health. Sounds riveting, doesn't it? Okay, uh, multitasking affects productivity and brain health. We live in a multitasking world. I was looking at 
um, as a part of this article, part of it was like, should you write on your resume, great multitasker? Should you, you know, and it was like, this is something that we in America, we love this. The idea of multitasking, doing multiple things at the same time, and we feel and we believe that we accomplish more is, is how this works. And so this article, it's a reputable place. Uh, it was a great article. They did this. And so we live in this world where we fold the laundry while we watch TV and we scroll social media while we eat dinner and teenagers are doing their homework and they're doing whatever else all at the same time. And this is the way that we live and we thrive in all of that type of stuff. But the research would just say multitasking as a whole is wreaking havoc on us and our brains. It was an interesting article. Uh, The article said this, okay, all sorts of research that they had done. It said multitasking hampers productivity. We get way less done doing two things at the same time than if we were to do one and then the other. Goes way down, interesting, okay. Uh, We become more distracted and our life is distracted, we know that. Uh, Cognitively, we are slower means your brain's slower than if you were to do one thing at a time. Brain functioning becomes impaired. Uh, the more mis- we make more mistakes when we multitask. Uh, short-term and long-term memory have gone down the more multitasking has increased in our culture. Weird things, okay? Uh, we are a mess in this area doing, I'm just telling you, when you look at the research of America in our minds, we are out of control, a mess. We are. It's, it's so different. And you, can, and you can feel some of that. Sit, sit down and try and have a conversation with your spouse today, just in the quiet, and see how long it takes for one of you to pick up your, their phone. This is a, this is a reality. We, we pick up our phones and do stuff on it, and we don't even think about it. It's just as nature. We just do all of this. But there's more than just this idea, because uh, it's not just overwhelmed in all of this. The more people I talk to, the more the more I just feel like our culture is tired. Do you feel that? Do you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Where we're just tired. Life is exhausting. Parenting is exhausting. Work is exhausting. Everything is exhausting. And then I have to do this and I have to go here and I have this going on as well and I'm just so tired. I was talking to someone on the sidewalk as we walked in and, and we were joking because we have kind of kids the same age and I, and I just joked and I said, man, do you remember when we had little, little kids and we didn't get any sleep at all? Do you remember that? And we're like, yeah, I remember that. And then we were like, and now we have teenagers and we don't get any sleep at all. Anyone know what I'm talking about? It's just different. It's like every season is filled with this wah that is happening all the time. And, and all of this, that was not in my notes, that wah part, by the way. But all of this makes what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, uh, what, we read, what we read together just a few minutes ago, like so intriguing to me. Because Jesus says this, like these are the words out of his mouth, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's this beautiful invitation from Jesus to those who are weary and to those who are burdened to come to him, and he's going to give rest. But the question I have is, what does that actually look like? What does it look like for us to come to Jesus with our burdens and with our weariness and, in a way, walk away with rest? 
That's a great question, by the way, and I found that within that question of what this actually looks like, it begins to open up a whole bunch of other things when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. See, understand, uh, we're going to walk through this, uh, and, and I, I'm excited for where this is going to go. I truly am, but it's going to be challenging at, at some points when we get there. Understand this passage of Scripture originally not written in English. If you didn't know this about the Bible, most of it was written in the language of Hebrew, and then the New Testament, most of it written in the language of Greek. And so, but Jesus probably didn't say this in Greek, so it's, it's an interesting twist that we have language-wise. Uh, but sometimes it's helpful to look at specific words that we have translated into English and actually say, what does this really mean? What's the root of this? And so um, let's look at a couple words here. The word translated as weary Weary, a simple definition from the Greek language, to get tired, but then it says this, to get tired through overuse, great strain, or stress. So the word weary is not necessarily connected to, well, I only got four hours of sleep. It's actually more connected to like overuse, okay, stress in that way. And of course, weary can be a physical thing. We can be physically tired or weary can be uh, an emotional thing, a mental thing, whatever type of word you want to use with that. And you know that to be true. The second word, burdened, burdened, which simply means to fill or to place a load on. So think about that for a moment. It's the idea of carrying something around, like a weight is on your shoulders is really the, a definition we could use of the word burdened, a weight on our shoulders. And in, in this context, we're not talking about a physical weight, clearly. Uh, it's some sort of a weight that we feel on the inside, and I think you understand what that means. Is anyone with me that say, I understand a weight the weight of the world, we even say that phrase, it's like the weight of the world is on my shoulders right now, okay? Emotional weariness, feeling this weight on the inside brought by overuse or stress, and Jesus says, come to me, all who feel that, and I will then give you rest, okay? So at the very root of this right here, we have an invitation for those who are tired, an invitation for those who are struggling emotionally, uh, for those who feel like they're carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. Come to me, is what Jesus says. Those who feel like you're running ragged in life, overwhelmed, you get the idea, all right? And, and many of us would raise our hand and say, that's me right now, and all of that. But and if it's not you today, it might be you tomorrow, right? We know that. But it's this invitation from Jesus, come to him and you will find rest. Now, here's the way that I have always understood this, okay? I've always understood this as a supernatural transaction. And what I mean by that is we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I am overwhelmed, I am tired, I am weary, I am broken. Take this, I give it to you, and in a way, I lay it down at your feet. And in return, a supernatural moment happens where Jesus then turns and fills us and we walk away refreshed and rested and it's like our, it was a change that happened instantaneously as we brought our junk to Jesus and the transaction happened and miraculously walked away. Now, by the way, I do believe that Jesus does things like that. And maybe you have an experience for that. Like I just, 
told you what happened to you, where you came and you had a moment with God and you walked away and it was like the weight of the world was no longer there. And maybe that, okay, I'm not disclaiming any of that in any way, uh, okay? And so don't misunderstand me in this. Like pastors preach that, I've preached that, I pray that, I've prayed that over many of you. Uh, I, I don't believe that that's a bad thing, but there is so much more to this than that. And this is what I want to show you. Uh, and this is, why, this is why for some of us, and don't miss this right here, for some of us, we hear things like this from the Bible. We hear promises and we hear special stuff like this that Jesus says, and we think to ourselves, well, I'm a churchy person. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm tired, and I'm worn out, and all of this type of stuff, and I've prayed, and I walk away feeling the same. What's the catch here? What am I missing? But here, here's what I'm learning. I'm learning that so often we read scriptures like this one about giving our burdens and we read Jesus and we view them in the wrong way. We, we think, I just need to say this prayer and I'm going to walk away. But then we walk away and go out and do the same exact things that we did before, living the same ways that we lived before. And don't miss this, we actually continue to do the exact same things that brought all that weariness and all that weight and all that junk onto our lives. See, I don't think that's how this is supposed to work from Jesus' perspective. I don't think this is us coming to him and saying, I'm a train wreck because my life's out of control. Fix me. Boom. Jesus does a miracle. Walk over here. Continue to live in all the train wreck stuff again and just come back again and again. This is not the way of Jesus. Are you with me? I, don't, I, I think there's one or two of us here that are starting to get this a little bit. All right. So what is Jesus saying? when he says this, and I believe the answer is in what Jesus says next, in the next verse. Come to me all who are wearied and burdened, I will give you rest. Now don't miss this, verse number 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, verse number 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Question, what is a yoke? Someone's like, Martha, he doesn't even know what an egg is. <laughs> In the culture of Jesus, a yoke was essentially, it was a farming stuff. And it was this wooden beam that was placed on the back of an animal, an oxen or something like that. And the yoke is what would shoulder the weight of what was being pulled, okay? So they would pull something and it would be shouldered on, and the yoke was this thing right here. So what does it mean when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you? Well, with, without thinking about this very much, my initial thought is just back to, I place my stuff on Jesus and he will carry that stuff for me. So what my, my mind immediately goes back to that, Cast your cares on him for he cares for you. Beautiful verse in first number Peter, in first Peter. That's not what this is though, okay? See, yoke, yoke is a farming word. It's also a term that rabbis would use in different ways as well. A Jewish rabbi, again, is, if you don't know this, is someone who would teach the scriptures to the Jewish people. Uh, the word rabbi just means teacher. And Jesus is called teacher, rabbi, all throughout the New Testament. Each rabbi had their own 
yoke. And what that means is they actually had a specific way that they understood the teachings of the Bible, the Holy Scripture, the the Jewish law, which was the first five books. They had their own way of this, or you could say it this way. And when you read about uh, the yoke of a rabbi, you begin to read things like this. A particular set of understandings of what it looks like to be human. You, you read things like that, and they call it a yoke because, in a sense, it was the particular rabbi's teaching on how to shoulder the weight of life, the weight of life here on earth. Now, don't miss this. I know that we're kind of all over the place a little bit, uh, but it's going to all come together. Jesus here is not just inviting us to give our weariness and our burdens to him. That's a piece of this, but it's so much more than that. Jesus is inviting us to his way of life, is what this is. To his way of life. And come on, somebody, I know you don't know exactly what that means yet, but that's exciting for me. For his way of life. This is not just come to me, all who are weary, say a prayer, I'll do a miracle, and then go out. This is come to me, all who are wearied and burdened, and I will give you rest as you take my way of living, as you learn from me, then you will find rest for your souls. Even the way that we read this, take my yoke upon you, take my yoke upon you. Not put all your junk on my yoke, take my yoke, do you hear that? It's different now, isn't it? Something is changing a little bit. Uh, In fact, the same three verses Uh, translated in the message translation, which I don't always love this translation, but in this case, I think they nailed it. I want to read this to you because it paints the picture completely different. It says this, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life, okay? Get away with me, not give it to me, first of all. I'll show you how to take a real rest. I'll show you which means you're actually, we're actually doing it as we learn in this way. Jesus shows us how to do this. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Watch how I, hear the language here. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Don't miss that part. You will learn to live freely and lightly. So this, this right here, I, like, I'm going to say this again and again because we misunderstand this passage of Scripture. Continue to pray for God to do miracles in your life. Continue to bring your junk before God and lay it down at His feet. But do not think for a moment that this is supposed to work like a transaction and you go live chaos again. This is Jesus saying, watch how I live. I will show you how to live. And in that process, as you learn my way of living, things are going to change for you and you will find rest for your very souls. That's beautiful. That's tough. Now, can I just say this? The promises of Jesus are completely intertwined with the way of Jesus. Do I need to say that again? Because nobody even nodded or like said anything. Okay, the promises of Jesus are completely intertwined with the way of Jesus. Let me get harsh for a minute. Are you ready for this? Do you trust me? Do you like, 
All right, we'll see. Okay, some of, some of us are asking God to bless us financially, but you're not living his way when it comes to your money. Some of us, I don't, I don't want this to come across judgmental in any way, so hear my heart on this. But we have many people who fill out prayer requests and they say, I need God to help me with my finances. But they're not living the way that God has laid out for us to live when it comes to our finances. Some of us are asking God to like bless our dating relationship and you're living together and sleeping together before you should. The promises of God are related to the way of God. You don't ask ask God to bless your life living your way. The promises of God are all beautifully intertwined with his way of living. Do you understand that? Okay, if if I offend you on this, like, I'm I'm sorry, you you can email me at sue at... (laughs) rlcmn.church, okay? And I would love to get back to you. No, but, but sincerely hear my heart in this. If you want this to work the way of the Bible and the way of Jesus, you have to live the way of the Bible and the lay of Jesus. And then we have Jesus and all throughout the scripture with these beautiful promises. The life that is truly life. That's in there. That's available for us. The life that is truly life. But that's not your way of living and saying, God, give me that. Peace that passes all understanding. Beautiful, beautiful. As Christians, we have access to this peace that does not make sense. When you live Jesus' way and you treat it in that way, Again, and over and over and over, we see this. We, okay, it, this doesn't mean God doesn't do miracles, and it doesn't mean that God doesn't take your mess and turn it into a message and your test to a testimony and all other cool rhymes. Okay, but this, like, sincerely, we believe that God does all of that, and we serve a God of incredible grace, grace that we don't deserve, and it's amazing. It's beautiful, and don't misunderstand anything I'm saying for a moment Okay, in, in any way, but listen, what we have and what we live in is an American Christian culture that wants the benefits of what Jesus has promised while living the same as the world around us. And I'm just here to tell you it doesn't work like that. And we need to understand that the promises of Jesus are completely intertwined with the way of Jesus. Back to today, come to me with your burdens and I will give you rest. And we think, I need that, I want that. I want rest, my, my soul is, is, is anxious. I am tired, I am weary. And we say, Jesus, yes, cast my cares on you, all of this type of stuff. But understand the invitation here is to a different way of living. Take my yoke upon you, my way of living, and my way is rest and humble and gentle, okay? And so what is the way of Jesus? This is where we get to the way of Jesus and the promise of Jesus, okay? And we automatically think of things like, like no sin and I've got to be perfect and we then begin to feel all guilty and I can't do all of this. Okay, there are all sorts of conversations we could have about the way of Jesus, but in this conversation right here about 
hurry and busyness and all this. Um, how would Jesus live if he was here right now? Slower. I believe he'd live slower. Why do I say that? Because I believe that the word hurry is anti-Jesus. Let me explain, okay? Think about this for a moment. God is love. Jesus loves you. That's kind of Bible 101 right there. Uh, At one point, Jesus even says this. He says the most important commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love God with everything you are. And the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. See, the idea of loving God and loving people is central to the life of Jesus, central to following Jesus. But listen to me, love is painfully time-consuming. And there's no way around it. In fact, I think you, you could make an argument that you really can't love in a hurry. It doesn't work like that. In fact, let, let me just be transparent about this. All of my worst moments as a father as a husband, as a pastor, even as a human being, all of my worst moments seem to be when I'm in a hurry. And when I'm running late for something and I'm behind on my crazy to-do list and when I'm trying to cram too much into one day, these are the moments where I feel tension and stress and sometimes anger even like oozes out of me and it's the exact opposite of love. How do you relate to your spouse when you're in a hurry? No one wanted to answer. (laughs) I'll help you. Badly. (laughs) That's not a word, is it? Maybe it is. Okay, would you call that love? You treat them with this incredible kindness and beauty, like, or is it something else? Hurry and love do not mix. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul defines love. First three words, love is patient. Love is patient. Hurry, this idea of hurry and love simply do not mix. What about joy? Let's, we're just going through some words here. What about joy? Secular psychologists, psychologists and experts, almost all of them agree, not even churchy people. The secret to happiness in our world is learning to be present in the moment. That's what, they'll, that's what they'll say when you read. It sounds all nice. The more present we are, the more joy we tap into. Do you know, you know that you can have, you can experience happiness and joy outside of Jesus? In the church, we like to say, no, that's not true. It may be temporary in sense, okay, but when we, when we become present in the moment, we begin to experience that in, in a way, uh, the more present we are. But understand, joy and hurry do not mix if present in the moment is what it takes to be filled with happiness and joy. What about peace? Do we even need to talk about this? Think of when you're in a crazy hurry, running behind, whatever. Do you feel the deep peace that God has intended for you? Like, th- write this down. Love, joy, and peace are at the heart of all Jesus is trying to grow in the soil of your life, and all three are incompatible with what we'll call hurry. Jesus lives this life Slow, unhurried, present in the moment, full of love and joy and peace. Music team, will you please come? Now, we were all over the place with this. We were funny, we were harsh, we were, I don't know what else we were. But I want to end just with a difficult question. But it's a question that should carry great weight in our lives. 
And the question is not like, what am I doing? Or how am I spending my time? The question is simply this, listen to this. Who am I becoming? Who am I becoming? As you look at your life right now, if things are to continue the way that they are, the pace that you are living, the the things that are happening, the amount that's on your plate, the things that you are, your current lifestyle, what does this look like for you in five, 10, 15 years? What does that look like? What is the path of your life leading you to? See, for many of us, and I put this on the screen because I want to read it exactly how I wrote it here. For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. I'm pretty sure I stole that from some book somewhere, so don't think I'm that smart. For many of us, the the danger for most of us in this place is not that we're going to renounce Jesus and become an atheist and totally walk away completely from all of our Christian roots and become whatever. That is not the reality for most of us in this place. For most of us, the bigger temptation, the thing we have to fight against, is that we don't become too preoccupied, too busy, too out of control, and do it so many different ways that our relationship with God just becomes stagnant and complacent and Americanized and just like everybody else around us. And God has called us to so much more. Please stand with me all over this place. presented the big problem, didn't I? The answer comes in us taking a deep breath and us prayerfully saying, God, how do I slow down? How do I experience you more? How do I hear your voice better? What does it look like for me to say no to good things so that great things can come? What does it look like for me to slow down? And for just a moment here before we're done, we're going to just sing together. But in a way, what I want this right here to be is us taking a deep breath and just saying, God, who am I becoming? And saying, God, I want to know you more. I want to hear you better. I want my relationship with you to not be the same. I want to prioritize you in my life. I want to help my children to love you more than they love hockey. I want my kids to think that serving you is more important than getting good grades. And by the way, it's possible to teach both of those things. But God, I I want with everything that I am to align my life with your way. And I want it to be my, I want it to be my goal and what I'm after, God, to figure out how to be and live closer and closer to your way. 
not just in busyness, but with everything that I do, God, with, with my finances. Don't let me settle. Don't let me spend everything that I have on myself. Don't let me be consumed with bank accounts and retirement and all of these things. But God, let me learn how to seek you first and watch all of this stuff fall into place. God, help me to trust you with my money, the thing that is so close to me that I hold on so tightly to. God, God, I want you to be the center of my relationships. Even if it means that I have to not live with the person that I love right now or whatever. God, I want your way because I believe in your way, Jesus. Your way is better. How many here today would just be honest with me and just say my, my life feels like it's a little bit out of control? If that's you, just raise your hand. And so here's what we do. We come before Jesus and we lay our burdens and we lay our weariness before him and we say, Jesus, I need you to take this stuff and I need you to fill me with rest, supernatural rest. But then we say this, but Jesus, I need your help to not go back to living the way that has brought all this junk. And we say, Jesus, I want to live your way. Help me move in that direction. God, I pray for those in this place that lifted up a hand, just saying, yes, this is me. My life is a bit out of control, overwhelmed, the weight of the world on my shoulder, God. We are filled with all sorts of stuff. And God, I pray, I pray that this message would not just be rest for the weary souls, but I pray, God, that we would hear your invitation to a different way of living. Not a way that is free from, that is free from tragedy and difficulty and that, but, but something deeper going on here. As, as we reach out, as we live, as we look to you, we see you and feel you and know you are close every moment in the deepest valley we know you are there. So God, we pray for that and we pray that you would help us. We truly pray for your help. Maybe you're here today and with no one looking around just for a moment, we're almost done, I promise. But maybe you're here and you have never responded to the message of Jesus. See, the message of Jesus, it's this beautiful thing of him dying for our sins, but this, the story starts with the rebellion of people. And you are a part of that and I am a part of that. See, our sin has separated us from a perfect and a holy God. God cannot, like, he cannot coexist with sin. And so there is this issue, there is this separation that happens. It's why he sent Jesus to die for you. And the Bible says if you will put your faith in him, and put your, your trust in Jesus and what he did, confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. And if you're here today and you would say, I have never responded personally to the message of Jesus. This is not about were you baptized or did you go through confirmation? Have you ever personally made this decision for yourself? And if you're here today with no one looking around and you just say, I need to make that decision for myself to put my trust in Jesus. If that's you, just show me your hand. I just wanna pray for you. Thank you, thank you. You can put your hand down. Anybody else that would say, that's me and today is my day. Thank you, you can put your hand down too. 
Thank you. Anyone else? That this is my moment right here. Responding to what Jesus did. In church, let's say a prayer together. Every one of us. This isn't, this isn't magic word stuff though. It's, it's a heart thing between you and God. Let's pray this together. Pray, Father God, I give you my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of my sins and change my life. In your name I pray, amen, amen. Come on, put your hands together. Let's celebrate what God has done and what God is doing.